Well, I want you to know that I had an awesome, awesome sermon prepared for this weekend on the pre-wrath rapture of the church. And I was just going to bless your socks off. But, uh, you know, based on Pastor Matt's comments last Sunday or last weekend, uh, I thought maybe I needed to change the focus. So if you were here, you know what I'm talking about. If not, (laughs) you need to go back and listen to his sermon last weekend. But the end of the year is always a great chance to, to stop to pause, to reevaluate what happened in my life this last year. What do I want to see happen in my life this upcoming year? It's a great time for resolutions. And maybe some of you are really great at resolutions. You've already got your, your financial resolutions set, your health resolutions, your you know, relationship resolutions. Maybe some of you are like me in the past. You know, you've had your great resolutions. And by January 5th, you realize, uh-oh, <laughs> not good. But I want to put a little twist on that this weekend. What is God's resolution for you this year? What does God want to see happen in your life this year? What is God going to be working in your life toward this year? Paul writes in Philippians 2.13, For it is God who is at work in you. To will and to act according to his good pleasure. What is it that God wants to do in your life this year? Five resolutions I want to share with you from the the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bible, you've got a pew Bible in front of you. The pages will be up uh, on the screens. Right in the middle of the book of Colossians, Colossians 3, 1 to 4, Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. And since then, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I mean, that's kind of like the center of the book. Paul's saying that there's going to become a moment in your life that is going to be the greatest moment in your life when Christ comes. And if you are a follower of Christ, you are going to appear with him in glory. And if that's true, what's going to be important at that moment? What's going to be important as you are joining Christ in his glory, as you think back over your life, what is important? Because what's important at that moment should impact what's important for our life this year. Paul says, set your heart and your mind on those kinds of things. Certainly other resolutions are important and good and helpful, but what kind are the most important This is the moment God is preparing you for if you are a follower of Christ. So what does he want to prepare in your life this year? First resolution. God's resolution is for you to experience richer fellowship with other believers. 
As you read the book of Colossians, you can't get away with the idea that Paul, as he's writing to these believers who he had not even met them, but he writes to them as a brother in Christ. In chapter 1, verse 2, he calls them holy and faithful brothers. He uses a Two different images that are very familiar with us to really help us grasp what does it mean to be the church, the body of Christ? What does it mean to be brothers and sisters, followers of Christ together? And that first one is that we belong to God's family, to one another. Not only did Jesus make it possible for us to connect with God, but he puts us in his family so that we can experience a family life together, so we can experience him. He writes about God our Father and that, that one day we will share in the inheritance of the kingdom of his son together. Ephesians 2.19, he says, you are members of God's very own family and you belong in God's household with other Christians. The word belong, isn't that such a rich word? We belong together. The second image is that, is that we are a body, that Christ is now our head. Chapter 1, verse 18, he is the head of the body of the church. A family is a place of belonging, and our bodies are certainly a place of belonging. I don't know about you, but I like when my skin is connected to my body. I like the fact that my hand is still connected. In our previous church, we had a kid who was in junior high who had a false eye. And let me tell you, he loved to have fun with the other junior high kids. You know, hey, can you hold this? What's that? Ah! You know, his eyeball staring at them. I think we would all really appreciate if, if you still have your eyeballs intact. That you do. Because it's a gift from God. Belonging. But what does that mean with us? I mean, we are to belong to each other like our body members belong. That's when we are healthy. That's when we can be most effective. Paul writes this in Ephesians 3, 6. We are members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. That we are to share that together. In other words, you're not going to ever experience the full, fullness of Christ alone, separated. Because God has designed it for us to share together. And really the picture I, I love that I think about that is a family going to a buffet. You know, you go to a buffet and certainly there's plenty of food for everybody, right? And so you come across something new on that buffet, let's say like Oreo fluff. And you go and you taste it and you're like, oh my gosh, that's the best Oreo fluff I've ever had. So what do you do? You go to the corner of the restaurant and you just like, you know. No, you go back to your family and you say, hey, you guys have got to try this Oreo fluff. It's the best ever. Or you go to Pizza Ranch and you have their chicken. Right? I mean, I appreciate that they finally acknowledged that it's their chicken. That they should be called the Chicken Ranch, right? So I kind of show hands here. But that's what it means to be followers of Christ together. That we are to help each other to experience what Christ has done for us. That when we come across a promise of God, that we don't just keep it to ourselves, we share it with someone. If, if we come across a verse that really encouraged us that week or really strengthened us, just share it with someone that week. 
we've experienced God's presence in a special way. I mean, that's what fellowship is all about. You know, sometimes even in the church we can get caught up in talking about a lot of things that really don't matter. This is one place we should be comfortable talking about Jesus and what Jesus is doing in our life. It's here. You know, I grew up going to church, but really that's all we did. We went to church and then we left. We didn't talk about our faith. We didn't encourage each other to read the Bible. We didn't pray together. Except quick prayer before meal every now and then. The message was that faith is private. But you know what? Faith, yes, is personal. And it is deeply personal. But God never intended it to be private. We are sharing in Christ together. Sharing in the richness When I became part of the body of Christ, that's when I really experienced the richness of those relationships and just the blessing it had in my life. So I would encourage you never to say, I go to church. I go to hope. But instead, I belong at hope. I am a member of of God's people at hope. It's a huge difference in our mindset. But you know what? Experiencing Christ together takes, it takes commitment. It's hard work. Relationships are hard work, aren't they? I mean, just moving after 20 years of being in the same place, you know, building new relationships, it's, it's hard work. And some of you have been just wonderful in helping us in this transition. But it's still hard work, isn't it? To go deep with one another. To have meaningful conversations. One of the ways that hopes try, uh, helps, tries to help with that is the life groups. You know, life groups a chance to just get together and meet additionally with other believers and talk about God's word together and talk about your life and faith and the promises of Christ. And so there's going to be some sign-ups coming up next week, starting next week for life groups again. Maybe you haven't been in a life group. Maybe you think they're scary. <laughs> I understand. They can be. But they are so worth it. You know, we still got room in our life group. Sunday night, 6 o'clock. If you want to be in our life group, sign up to our, with ours on, this, on the computer next week. We'd love to have you join us. But I challenge you. When you're talking with other believers, try to go a little deeper. A little deeper. Share a little bit more about what God is doing in your life, what you're experiencing. That our job is to help each other experience more of Christ. Second resolution, God's resolution is for you to experience a powerful spiritual makeover this year. I love those makeover shows, don't you? Whether it's, you know, The Greatest Loser, or whether it's a home makeover or a room makeover, you see the beginning, you see the end, and it's just pretty cool. But you know what? It's nothing compared to what God is doing in you. From the moment that he grabs a hold of you as a rebel, as an enemy, and makes you his child, and then slowly over time is conforming you to the image of his son. 
Jesus died more than just for you to be forgiven. But it's so that God can begin this amazing work in your life. For it is God who is at work in you to will and to act, to make you the person he wants to be, or sometimes we say the very best version of you. You know, what sin does is sin destroys what God is, is wanting to do in our life. You know, God created us in his image, but sin destroys that. But Jesus came that he might be, be able to remake us into the image, his image, his glorious image. He's the one who gives us victory. And so Paul kind of captures this in chapter 3 of Colossians. In verse 9 and 10, he says, you have taken off your old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. And that's what our Christian life is all about. It's living out what happened at the cross, because when we are invited to the cross, we are invited to die to our old self, where we say, I don't want to be that person anymore. And we allow the, the presence and the power of the resurrected Lord to live in us. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And that's why chapter 3 is even made possible. For Paul says, Take off your old self. In other words, even in verse 5, he's even a little stronger terms. He says, put to death. Put to death those things that belong to your earthly nature. When they rear their ugly head, those things that are keeping you from being the person that God wants you to be. He says, don't mess around with it. Don't justify it. Don't toy with it. Put it to death. For you died. With Christ, when it rears its ugly head, say, I am no longer that person. I don't have to be controlled by that sin anymore. I can experience the victory of Christ. And so the second half of that is to put on, then, to put on this new person. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, clothe yourself with compassion. Whose compassion? His compassion. Clothe yourself with kindness, humility, gentleness. Whose gentleness? His gentleness. For it is Christ who is living in me. It's Him. His patience. Bear with each other and forgive. Just as Christ forgave you. And above all these things, put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. Whose love? Christ's love. Let peace, the peace of Christ, rule in your hearts. You want to have good relationships? Allow the peace of Christ to rule. Allow him to be the umpire, the referee between your relationships. Put on those things. Is there something that's been keeping you from becoming who God wants you to be? Is there an aspect of the presence of Christ that you really need to focus on in this wonderful list? Maybe, maybe memorizing this verse, Colossians 3.12. And you know the best place for this to happen? God's spiritual makeover. 
It's in the church. As we are pursuing deeper relationships with one another. You know, some people avoid belonging to a church. Why? Because relationships are messy. Aren't they? Maybe they've been hurt in the past. Maybe their toes have been stepped on. Do you know what? That's God's point. That's why he does it. He puts us in relationships so that when you step on my toe, I've got to practice gentleness. When you kind of start irritating me a little bit, or I start irritating you, you've got to bear with me. When I do something wrong and mess up, you've got to put on the forgiveness of Christ and forgive me. I mean, this is where we put this into practice when we're in relationship with one another. I mean, if you're at home sitting in front of the TV, you know, watching, I mean, do you need to practice gentleness? I mean, unless you're a Bears fan like my wife, you know, you really need to put, put on patience. You know, you, you think she's a calm, gentle, self-controlled woman? And she knows I'm going to say this, so don't think I'm just throwing her under the bus. But just, just watch her watching the bears. I mean, you could be in any room in the house and know she's watching the bears because she's yelling at the TV. And no, that's one example where just being alone, maybe you do need to put on Christ. But most of the time it happens in relationships as we are doing life together. What does God want to do in your life. See, I need you. To become all that God wants me, I need you. I need your encouragement. I need your teaching. I need accountability. I need people in my life, and you need people in life where you've give, given permission to speak into your life. Maybe when they see things that aren't reflecting the image of Christ. That's why we need a deeper fellowship. We need to sharpen each other. There's too much at stake to be casual about our walk with Christ. That's why Paul says, walk, he says, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who's at work in you. Not something to be taken lightly. Number three, God's resolution is for you to experience a meaningful ministry to others in the body of Christ. Look back at chapter 1, verse 24. Paul writes this, Now I rejoice. What is Paul rejoicing about? Is he rejoicing that his team did win the bowl? Is he rejoicing that maybe you got an end-of-year bonus? Is he rejoicing that maybe the next season is out on Netflix of your favorite show? What's he rejoicing about? Look at what follows. In what was suffered for you. For the sake of the body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission that God gave me. I rejoice, Paul says. Not only is salvation a gift from God, Paul understood that ministry, being able to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords, is a gift of God's grace. That's why he writes to the Ephesians. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. I have become a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Do you know what it costs 
call to serve, earthly speaking, costs a lot. But that's not how Paul saw it. <laughs> he saw it as a tremendous privilege to be able to serve the church and to serve Christ, the one who loved him and gave himself for him. Ministry is a gift. It's not to be seen as a chore, a bother, a burden, an inconvenience. It's what we were created for. But you know what? Sin kind of destroys that. What sin does is say, you know what, Marty? Look out for yourself. Marty, spend time on yourself. Marty, think about yourself. But then Jesus comes. He dies on the cross. And Paul says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Jesus reverses that power of sin in our life to just think about ourselves and to start thinking about others. You know, Peter saw it the same way, that ministry is really an extension of God's grace that I've experienced, that, that it is God's grace in me that I'm supposed to pass on to you. He says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. What that means is that you are a flavor. Like Baskin, 31 flavors, you are a flavor of God's grace. Who you are, what God is doing in your life, the resources that he's given you, the talents that he's given you, the gifts that he's given you, the money that he's given you, the time that he's given you, all this is a gift. It's an expression of God's grace. For what? To serve others. To be a faithful administer of God's grace. We like the recipient part, don't we? But we are recipients only so that we can faithfully administer it to others. You know, we live in a consumer-driven society. We go to places and we think, I'm the consumer. They do things for me. And it's easy to kind of let that seep into the church. I come. What's in it for me? Maybe I put some money in the offering so that those people up there, they can do things for me. You know what? The staff, pastors, directors, it's not their job to do the ministry of the church. If you read the Bible, especially Ephesians 4, they are called to equip you, to equip me, to serve. We are to be the servants, the ministers. So the question for each of us is to wrestle with is, am I being a faithful minister of God's grace in my life? You know, Jesus tells a very important parable, a parable of the talents, where he says uh, a man gives his servants talents because he's going to leave and he, he's entrusting his, his stuff, his business, so to speak, to them. And then he leaves for a while. But eventually he comes back to see if they were faithful in what they were entrusted with. And what he says to two of them is, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's joy. 
because you were faithful with a few, I will now make you a faithful, or I will now put you in charge of many. In other words, how well they were faithful in what God had entrusted with them in his absence impacted what the master would entrust to them in his presence. I believe Jesus was giving us a pretty strong message there. That this life really is, it's a test. How faithful will we be with what God has given us to serve our king? And that that will impact how you serve Christ in his kingdom. What does that mean? <laughs> it means that you should be running to the pastors and the directors of hope and say, what can I do? What can I do? I want to be faithful with what God has entrusted me. Some of the greatest moments in my life is when people have finally discovered what God has gifted them to. We used to do a class called Your Shape for Ministry and kind of help them experience, to see. And when they begin to grab a hold of that and start serving for Christ in how he has gifted them and the joy, the tremendous joy and meaning it gives their life. So maybe you need to go to, to those who are called to equip you, encourage you to do service. Maybe talk to those around you. Maybe talk to those in your life group and say, hey, what, you know, what do you think I'm good at? What do you think, how can I strengthen the body of Christ? How can I find a meaningful ministry that you haven't found it yet this year? Fourth, God's resolution is for you to experience the exciting adventure in walking with Jesus. Look at chapter 4. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for the message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, I think sometimes in our life, even as Christians, life can maybe feel a little boring, a little stale. Have you felt that? Sometimes we look at a lot of other things to, to find excitement in our life. When we stop taking risks, when we stop maybe stepping out of our comfort zone and walking with Christ in the adventure that he calls us to, I think if you would ask Paul, Paul, is life boring? <laughs> no, no way. You see, what, what that entails every day, you know, getting up, being sensitive to God's spirit, every day looking for open doors of how you can be used by Christ, every day praying and watching what God is doing in your life and in the life around you. Making the most of every opportunity. Every day looking for divine appointments. Every day seeking to live God's grace and so that people see something different in your life. Every day living as if you might be the best opportunity that someone might have to hear about Christ. That makes life exciting. But we don't always live that way, do we? I don't. I want to live like that more. 
this year. I want to experience the adventure that God calls me to more this year. Henry Blackaby years ago wrote a book called Experiencing God, and there were seven principles. The first principle was this. God is always working around you. He's working. Maybe you don't always see it, but he's working. And the second one is this. He invites you to join him in the adventure of what he's doing in that person's life. That's what Paul was praying for himself and for the believers. Lastly, God wants you to experience passionate worship 24-7. You hear Colossians 3, 16 and 17. You know, most of the time we equate worship with music, but you know what? You can worship God without music. <laughs> you, should, you can worship God in silence because worship is an expression of all that I am to all that God is. It's trusting him, a heart that comes humbly before him, a heart that thanks him, a heart that praises him, a heart that adores him, a heart that obeys him, a heart that honors him. It involves allowing God to be preeminent in our lives. See, what sin does, what does sin do? It pushes God out of our life. It pushes him off the throne and out of our life as far as it can. But what Jesus came to make possible through his death and resurrection is that God may once again take his rightful place in your life and in my life. So Paul writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. That's what we do on the weekend. Gather together and allow God's Word to dwell within us. Sing songs together that remind us of the, the truth of the gospel and of what Christ has accomplished for us. But then he goes on to say, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, on Monday morning, on Tuesday afternoon, at work, at school, when you're practicing, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In other words, every moment is to be acknowledging God's presence, and that's worship. Not just on the weekend, but certainly it's what I call this, the worship spiral. When we gather together on the weekend and we, we gather into God's Word and we, we encourage each other and hear the, the, the truth and the songs, that motivates us and encourages us then on Monday and, and Tuesday and the rest of the week to live a life of worship. And, and if we do that, if we allow God's Word again to dwell within us and, and we're reading our words, maybe memorizing some Scripture, we're sharing those promises together, being mindful of God during the week, being thankful for all the blessings that we have then we gather together and our, our experience on the weekend is even more richer. And the week it's even more rich. But the opposite can also be true. Maybe we pop in once a month at worship service. That's not going to get us very far. <laughs> Cultivating a heart of worship. 
Or if all we do is come to a worship service and kind of, yeah, you know, we sing, we do that, but the rest of the week aren't really thinking about God and his blessings and his promises and his presence. And that's why we gather again together to encourage each other to worship him. Not only on the weekend, but but every day. Being thankful for all that he has done for us. Twenty twenty. Doesn't it just sound like kind of a significant year? I mean, twenty. It's kind of like the golden year, right? Your golden birthday is when you turn six, and your 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 birthday's on the sixth. Right? Well, this is kind of like the golden year 20. It's the same year and the same decade, 2020. It just seems like it, it, it's going to be a significant year. But what I do know is that God wants to make it significant for you. God wants to do something significant in your life. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine according to his power in the church, in you. That's the God we serve. That's the God we worship. That's the God we follow. The one who wants to do immeasurably more in your life this year. This isn't for someone else. This isn't for those people. This is for you. What does God want to do in your and are you ready to open up your life to him for all that he has for you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of gathering together this weekend and for your word, the book of Colossians that has so many rich, rich truths of all that you've done for us and what it can mean for our life each and every day. Lord, you created us to have fellowship with you and to be in fellowship with one another. All we going back to the garden and even all the way into eternity, picture of heaven, us having fellowship with one another and your presence right there in our midst. Lord, may we learn more and more what that rich fellowship can be here and now. May we be part of that. In our relationships with each other, experiencing more of, of just all that you have for us. And Lord, the promise that you are at work in us, that we are not a lost cause. Not a single person here is a lost cause because you are at work in us. Lord, may we grab a hold of that and the truth that you want to conform each and every one of us to the image of your Son, that glorious image. Lord, may we humble ourselves and just submit to your spirit and claim those promises. And Lord, may we take inventory of all the so many things that you've done in our life and given us. And Lord, evaluate, are we being faithful in serving you? If not, Lord, by your spirit, just guide us. Lead us to the right conversations that we can have, the right opportunities that we can just shine for you living this adventure, worshiping you each day. In Jesus' name, amen.